If you will, take your Bibles with me today and turn to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 18. Luke, chapter 18. I want you to look up here and let's read what it says the principle is. Read that with me. It is easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. You know, the truth is, these are the words, these words of Jesus are so important that the three synoptic gospel writers recorded them. That would be Matthew, Mark, and Luke. The principle of the eye of the needle is not something I'd ever heard uh, spoken or, or preached about. And just one day it just leaped out at me that this is a principle Jesus was teaching. And yet when you read it, it is a stunning statement. It's easier for a man, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. We need to think about that. It not only astonishes me, it not only stuns me, the scriptures say, depending on which gospel you read, that it stunned, that it uh, amazed, that it utterly amazed, that it astonished, that it astonished more than the disciples of Christ at, now listen to this, the demands of Jesus. This was not a suggestion. This was a principle that Jesus put out there. And with good reason. Now, for the person who has studied God's word, you understand that the principle of the eye of the needle follows one of the big stories of the Bible, one that we call the rich young ruler. And what I'd like us to do this morning as we run around this, let us get this story in front of us. Luke chapter 18, we'll pick up reading in verse 18. If you're able, I'd like you to stand in honor of God's word. If you're not, it's okay. If you're not able. Luke writes, A ruler came, asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus asked him. No one is good but, the one, but, the, but one God. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. I have kept all these from my youth, he said. When Jesus heard this, he told him, you still lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and distribute it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. After he heard this, he became extremely sad because he was high, very rich. Seeing that he had become sad, Jesus said, how hard it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this asked, then who can be saved? And he replied, what is impossible with men is possible with God. Can I get an amen? What is impossible with men is possible with God. Then Peter said, look, we have left what we had and followed you. He, Jesus, said to them, I assure you, there is no one who has left a house, wife, or brothers, parents, or children because of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more at this time and eternal life in the age to come. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it is my prayer today 
that you will literally open the scripture to us and that you will pierce us at the very point of our weakness. And as this story applies to us, I pray that you'll not let us off the hook. I pray that you'll send conviction and then you will send that impossibility in our hearts of repentance. Break us and mold us and make us. Help us to surrender to your will and your name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. You know, every time I read this story, you know what the first question that comes out at me is? How in the world did Jesus know that this ruler was not sincere? How did he know the heart? And some of them go, well, he's Jesus. He's Christ. Well, you know, truly he could have used his divinity, but I discover the more that I read the, the word that Jesus uses his humanity when dealing with people a lot more than he used he uses his divinity. So how did he know? I mean, we don't know. There could be some ways. It could be perhaps um, <coughs> he looked at the rich long, re, re, looked at this ruler, and, and it was his appearance. Perhaps he was one of those guys that had every uh, hair in place. He had his beard neatly combed and neatly trimmed. Perhaps Jesus saw him coming from afar and saw him primping and what have you. Perhaps he had some blemishes and, and he had taken some cream of the day to make himself look good. Perhaps he put on his expensive cologne trying to impress Jesus. It could have been his appearance. It could have been his attire. You know, it's interesting. Maybe in the message tonight a little bit, it's interesting about attire. And today, and today we all dress up for church, and that's, that wasn't even a big deal. In fact, it became a big splash in the middle of the 18th, 19th century because Baptists were always said, you know, dressing up for church is showing off for yourself. Because back in the old days, the common folk had two, two sets of clothes. They had one to work in the field with, and they had one to go to town with. And both of them were like brogans. It wasn't anything, it's like what we used to call croaker sack. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Some of you do, some of you city folks don't have a clue. You see, the truth, it could have been his attire. He could have just sat around and planned and planned. What, do you, what am I going to wear? How am I going to impress Jesus? You know, I'm an up-and-coming ruler. Got a lot of money. I need to display what I have. So perhaps it was his attire. Maybe it was his appearance. Or perhaps it was his attitude. How he approached Jesus. When I read, when I read this text, it seems to me that the idea is here that, that he came with somewhat of an attitude. I mean, think about it. He begins with, uh, let's see, I think Mark and Luke are the two that, said that, that records in verse 18, good teacher. Well, that could be a sign of respect. It could be a sign of honor, but it also could be a sign of sarcasm. Good teacher. Because he was there with his friends, and probably his friends probably saw and heard some of what he said. It could be a sign of sarcasm. Now, we don't know why. and We don't know how Jesus recognized it. All we know is that Jesus saw through this rich man's verbal games. What a message for us today. Jesus still sees through our verbal games. We say or we sing, I love you, Lord. But our love for him is overshadowed by our love for our comfort and our convenience and our desire and our family and our friends and our hobbies and things we have. 
We sing, I will serve you, Lord, and yet our place of service to the Lord has to take its place in a laundry list of where we're trying to, of other things we're trying to do. We say, Lord, you know what? I love you. You did so much for me. I will tell others about you. And yet the words of our mouth and the meditation of our heart are acceptable in our sight and not His. We say, I'll be faithful to you. Yet, we are more faithful to the things of this world than we are to things pertaining to Him and His kingdom. We look at this rich young ruler. We find that he had some problems before Jesus. And I believe, particularly in the United States of America, in the state of Alabama, in the city of Hueytown, that we find a lot of commonalities between this rich young ruler and us. You see, we are the rich of this world. I love it when I say we're, we're in the top 5% of the wealthiest people of the world and everybody rolls their eyes at me. I don't. I live from paycheck to paycheck. Well, try some statistics. Did a little research. Close to 1 billion people... Actually, the, the statistics said over one billion people in the world today are trying to survive on less than one dollar a day. That's one billion with a B. You see, they're struggling. They live and they die in abject poverty. You, you multiply on top, or you add on top of over one billion people living on one on less than $1 a day. Add to that over 2 billion people are struggling to survive on $2 a day. So we can see from those statistics over half of this world are struggling to have the very essentials of life. And the essentials are not an iPod and internet broadband service. The essentials are food, clothing, and shelter. Today, during this 24-hour period that we call Sunday, the Lord's Day, over 26,000 children will die of malnutrition and preventable diseases. I suggest you, those numbers boggle my mind. Almost too much for us to comprehend, but here's what I'll say to you. These are real people with real hurts and their, pri- and their plight demonstrates how rich we are. And as rich people, we need to hear the warning of Jesus who said, hey, you need to know this. It's easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. As I study and I pray over this, over almost six years, I've said this a number of times, the thing that really jumps out at me, I stand week and week and I do my best to faithfully proclaim God's Word to us. And the Bible clearly tells us that many who expect to be saved are going to be lost. And I wonder if that's an indictment on America. The rich of the world that have not grasped 
this thing of giving it all to Jesus. I want to talk to you in two parts. As I read this, I want to begin with the corruption of the rich. The corruption of the rich. You know, the Bible never says, go ahead, Cameron. The Bible never says that money is the root of all evil. The Bible says the love of money is the root of all evil. In fact, if you go and read that passage where where Paul wrote to Timothy, he said the love of money is the root of all kind of evil. And by craving it, some have wandered away from the face and pierced themselves with many pains. You see, wealth has a way of pulling us away from those things we know good. And by the way, that word root in that uh, Timothy passage, it literally means the sprout. You know what a root is. You plant a root, and from there the bush and the fruit and the tree all grow from. And when, and when the rich and when the wealth gets to the root of our lives, we fall in love with money. We fall in love with what it can bring us. And what happens in our lives when we fall in love with our wealth, I'm going to give you a country illustration. We used to go out and bush hog my, dad's past, my granddad's pasture. Big old bush hog. Get rid of all those briars. Anybody know what a briar is? You get rid of those briars and it looks so clean and, and healthy, you let the rain come the next spring. And you know what takes over your pasture once again? Nobody planted them. Nobody wants them. But they're always there. And they'll take over a pasture if you're not, if you're not careful. And here's what I will tell you. In the same way briars take over, so does wealth take over our lives. Hebrews tells us we should be free from money. But the corruption of the rich bleeds back to us because we begin to, we begin to depend on it. It creates an environment for corruption. Let me tell you three ways that, that the rich become corrupt. Number one, they begin to lean on their own resources. They begin to lean on their own resources. When the rich man came to Jesus it would seem that he was looking for eternal life. It would seem that he wanted a relationship with Jesus. But Jesus immediately saw through the facade of this young man. His problem was that his financial resources had become the God of his life. Hello? You see, he knew that he could buy his way just about, out of just about anything that he wanted to. He knew that his financial resources could carry him a long way. And so Jesus said in his heart, he said, his wealth has become his God. And so he says, hey, you want to know what it takes to have eternal life? Have you kept all the commandments? And Jesus didn't even mention the commandment that was his problem. He just directed him toward this standard. And he said, don't commit adultery, murder, steal, bear false witness, honor, and honor your father and mother. I've kept these. Can you imagine how the heart of Jesus must have fallen when this man was not ready to admit his sin? Was not ready to admit his problem? I dare say that Jesus looks at us the same way. And we, when we are not ready to admit our sin, it breaks his heart. I suspect 
that this rich young guy who had bought his way probably into every other thing expected Jesus to go, that's great. Sign this card, walk the aisle, get baptized. Everything will be fine. By the way, bring your tithe. I you know, your money can help us. You know what? Here's what I will tell you today. You won't like what I'm about to say. I am sorry. God didn't need this man's money, and he doesn't need your money. You want to keep your money? You keep it. The people who love God, people who obey God, people who are committed to God, they'll give out a heart of love. The resources that we have on this earth are few because God is the ultimate resource. The rich tend to believe that God needs them. And they lean on their own resources. The second thing is not only do they lean on their resources, but they always look for an easier way. This is why Jesus said it's easier for a man... It's easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than for a man to enter the kingdom of God. Because the rich, look, go ahead, camera, look for, an, look for an easier way. There's no doubt in my mind that when this rich man came to Jesus, he was looking forward to being received by Jesus and he wanted to get his ticket punched for heaven. The problem is Jesus is not a train conductor and he's not in the ticket punching business. He died to forgive us of our sin and bring us in a right relationship to the Father. But for us to do that, we must be willing to repent. We must be willing to believe. We must be willing to receive Jesus and His offer of salvation and the change in life that He brings. I would suggest this morning that because of the status of this man, this rich, young that he thought Jesus would show him a little deference and respect. After all, he was an up-and-coming star. Oh, it's, it, it, and it's not just this man. Did you know there are other stories in the Bible which will, which will validate this, that people will look for the easier way, that rich people look for the easier way, that they lean on their own resources? In Acts chapter 8, if you remember, chapter 7 is where they stoned Stephen. Chapter 8 is where Saul comes on the picture and 8 is where Philip comes on the picture. And then verses 9 through about verse 23 or so, there's a man that comes on the scene that I call Simon the Sorcerer. The disciples were in town performing a work. And Simon even put himself amidst those... At, feigning, believing in Jesus. He, he joined the believers. And then when the disciples laid their hands on people and the Holy Spirit came, Simon saw the power of the Holy Spirit. So you know what he did? Man, count me in. I commit my life to you because I, I, I want to be with the Lord. I want, to, I want to have the power of the Lord. No, that's not what he did. This rich man, you know what he did? He said, here's some money. Let me buy the blessing. And to their credit, here are the words, Acts 8, verses 20 through 23. 
Peter told him, May your silver be destroyed with you. Because you thought the gift of God could be obtained with money. You have no part or share in this matter because your heart is not right before God. Therefore, repent of this wickedness of yours. And pray to the Lord that the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. And by the way, verse 23, for I see you are poisoned by bitterness and bound by iniquity. The truth is, the wealthy, the reason it is, Jesus said these words, not me, the reason Jesus said it's, this give this eye of the needle principle is because the rich want to buy their way. They look for an easier way. And the third thing you see up there is that they live for self. The most, <clears throat> the most sobering part of this story to me is how differently Jesus reacted. Jesus laid the truth out. He said, go sell all you have, give it to the poor, and then you can follow me. And Jesus was pointing out the depth, the depth of this man's sin and the breadth of his selfishness. And the man refused to turn all, over, all that he had over to the Lord. And he walked away. Isn't that interesting? I've said for many years, Ty, that a Baptist preacher, if Jesus had been a Baptist preacher, when that rich man turned to walk away, he'd go, wait a minute, can't we work this out? But Jesus did not. Now, was it a sin to be rich? I don't think so. I don't think that's what the story's about at all. But it is a sin to let earthly wealth become your God. And earthly wealth has a way of taking a good person, sometimes a godly person, certainly a believer, and turning them into a selfish, self-centered, and self-serving person. And, and there are many stories in the Bible that tell us this. Back in Luke 12, you see the parable of the rich food, or fool, the rich fool. You find, he says, uh, watch out and be on guard against all greed because one's life is not in the abundance of possessions. And then he tells this story about a farmer who has had great. You know, let me just read it to you. He told him the parable. A rich man's land was very productive. He thought to himself, what should I do since I don't have anywhere to store my crops? I will do this, he said. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones and store all my grain and my, good, my goods there. Are you getting all these? I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones and store all my grain and all my goods there. Then I'll say to myself, you have many goods stored up for many years. Take it easy. Eat, drink, and enjoy yourself. I can tell you that in a pot. I can tell you that in the 21st century parable. Man's very productive in his vocation. He amassed a lot of money. In fact, he amassed so much that it exceeded the, FDLI, uh, the FDIC's insurance. And he goes, i got to find me another bank. And he continues to store it up. And he says to himself, man, take it easy. Eat and drink and be merry. Oops, God gets the last word. God said to him, you fool. 
This very night, your life is demanded of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? That's, Jesus said, how it is with the one who stores up treasures for himself and is not rich toward God. You want to see another story, Brother Jerry? That's just one. Well, you could go to Acts chapter 5. We all know that story. Adam and, uh, excuse me, and Ananias and Sapphira, they wanted to receive the preeminence in the church like Barnabas had who sold a piece of property and brought it all and laid at the disciples' feet. Ananias and Sapphira wanted that same notoriety. They sold a piece of property and they lied about it. And they died. You see, the person who lives for himself never has enough, always hoards it. Ananias, Sapphira, their selfishness ended their life. As I was praying through this message, I thought, you know, I'd like to illustrate how we kind of get taken with our, with our possessions, all of us do. And I really, I started reading, trying to find a story to illustrate that and maybe lighten the mood a little bit. And I found this story. There's an old mountaineer on his deathbed. He told his wife, he said, Elvira, now only in the mountains is the wife named Elvira. He said, Elvira, I want you to go in there. I'm about to die. I want you to go in there to the fireplace and I want you to move that movable little brick on the hearth and I want you to bring me that box. She removed that brick and she brought the box out Kelly and it was stuffed with cash and he said look he said I want to take that with me when I go so if you will go up into the attic and put it into the window and I'll get it when I die on my way up she said okay she went up and put it in the window forgot about it the man died they buried him a couple weeks later she thought about that box and she went up there, and she there set the box. She opened it up. The cash was still there. And she said, I knew it. I should have put this in the basement. <laughs> Listen, as someone said, we can't take it with us. But we can send it on ahead of us. According to God's word, it's tough. For the rich man to enter the kingdom. Not impossible. But it's tough. Nothing is impossible. With God. The corruption. Of the rich. So I want to end in the few minutes. That we have. With a cure for the rich. The cure for the rich. Now you can argue with me. And that's fine. You can't argue with God's word. You can argue with me that there's needed a cure for rich. His word tells us repeatedly of the difficulty for the wealthy. But if we're going to be cured, and folks, face it, every one of us have lived or are living such lives of affluence during this day. Every one of us are tempted to let our wealth control us so what do we do I'll suggest three things to you first of all admit the hold that wealth has admit the hold that wealth has you know why wealth has such a hold on us 
It speaks to our fallen nature. Left to our own, we are in this world, we are in this life about for, our, for ourselves. Life is all about me. In fact, purpose-driven life begins with, it's not about me. But we, we are tempted to go, <coughs> it is all about me. And inside the church, we propagate that. Now, I want to tell you something. I'm about to teach you something that I've just learned in the last couple of weeks in a real way. And you're not going to like it because I didn't like it when I first read it. Inside the church, we teach Jesus died for me, period. Listen, while that's not inaccurate, it is incomplete. Jesus did die for me to save my soul that I might express His grace and extend His glory to the world. He saved us. He died for us that we can extend His uh, um, His grace, express His glory, that the world can know who He is. It's not just that He died for you, period. He died for you that you can do something for Him. I mean, think about it. Now that you're all rattled up, those that don't like that, if Jesus died for you, period, that makes you the center of His gospel. That makes you the center of His universe. That makes everything He's done for you. And I'm going to tell you something. God doesn't share His glory with anyone. He died for you that you could be a part of the kingdom work that He's called you to. And when we get, when the wealth gets in our hands, when me gets to be center of the uh, universe, then it's my cars and my money and my house and my family and my possessions. It gets to be all about me. That's why Jesus says it's so hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, I heard a story years ago. This man married a rich woman. I mean, Mike, this is blood rich. Servants, cars, houses, vacation homes. And after they got married, he was notorious for saying, my servants and my cars and my um, vacation homes. And his wife said, honey, why don't you just say our houses, our vacation homes, our servants, our money. He didn't hear her. I know no women in this room has ever said anything to your husband that you didn't hear, but that's another story. Finally, she got tired of it. And she took what we call in Mississippi a shillelagh and put him in the hospital. And after about a week in the hospital, she was there and the doctor was releasing him. And he said this. He said, honey, if you go over that closet and get our britches and our shoes and our shirt. She taught him a lesson. You know, sometimes we need to be taught lessons. Ask yourself today. What hold does my wealth have on me? If God took away all my wealth today, what would my faith be like? If God took everything I have, would I seek after Him? 
Or would I seek after more stuff? And then ask yourself, the wealth that I have, how does it keep me from seeking God? From wanting to be holy? From wanting to be more like Jesus? Admit the whole which wealth has. Second thing I'd say is for us to adhere to the words of Jesus. To adhere to the words of Jesus. Now this is a choice that we make. What did Jesus say? Well, in the Sermon on the Mount, he said this. He said, don't collect for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But collect for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. You see, folks, the wealth that we have on earth not only has the power to corrupt us, it has the power to corrupt itself. If you don't believe that, walk back about 18 months, two years. I know preachers that were retired. And after the fall of the start market, they had to re-enter the ministry. I know people who lost millions of dollars in the stock market. You see, folks, these moth and rust. Have you ever thought about what your treasure in heaven would be? Have you ever thought about that? Could it be that the treasure we lay up in heaven, yes, it'll be crowns, but could the greatest treasure we have outside of Jesus himself be the people that we were responsible for influencing to be there? Where are you laying up treasures today? Jesus says, don't lay them up down here, lay them up up there. Because up there they'll last, down here they won't. And then he ends in uh, Matthew chapter 6. I didn't read this verse. But it's misunderstood. It says, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Oh, that's right, Brother Jerry. Well, listen what it doesn't say. It doesn't say where your heart is, your treasure will be. This is a very exposing question. And an exposing principle because wherever you are putting your treasures right now, that's where your heart is. Whatever you're putting your heart into... That's where your treasure is. That's what it says. Jesus says, lay not up down here. Lay it up up there. And the third thing that I would suggest to us, not only that we admit the whole which wealth has on us, as Jesus taught, not only that we adhere to the word of Jesus to not lay treasures up down here, but number three, that we answer, that we answer. The call of Jesus. Now what is the call of Jesus? The call of Jesus today is the same as it was right then. Back then. Come to me. All you are burdened and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. 
and said, if you come to me, I'll not cast you out. In fact, I am the way, Jesus said, the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. There are those here today that have never invited Christ into their life as the leader of their life. We want to invite him into our life for our fire insurance. But Jesus comes as the leader. He either comes as the Lord or he doesn't come at all. The words of Jesus are clear. We come at his calling, at his behest. He endured the pain of the cross that we might be saved and that we might be a part of the kingdom work that needs to go on on this earth. But you know what? We may not like it, but it is difficult. It is humanly impossible for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. So if we're going to get there, if we're going to be there, it's going to be a divine event. The Philippian jailer asked, what must I do? And was told, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. The crowd at Pentecost said, what must we do? And was told, repent and then be baptized. Have you repented of of your sin? Have you received the Lord Jesus in your life as the leader of your life? If not, why not do it today?